I thought I'd start by, um, I guess, maybe saying a saying that I've heard moved around the traps a little bit. If you're a Barack Obama fan, uh, you might have heard this saying. Every now and then, Barack Obama kind of throws it out there, but I've seen it kind of used just in ordinary conversation as well. Uh, the saying is this, you don't want to be on the wrong side of history. You heard that saying? Barack Obama kind of puts it out there and he says, you know, those nations, they're going to get what's coming to them. They're on the wrong side of history. It's all going to turn around. Uh, when he's kind of talking about foreign policy. But when he's kind of talking about Americans, he's, he kind of goes, well, you know, we're on the right side of history. And uh, so it kind of uses it to justify a lot of his things. But I think it's an interesting little saying that kind of gets thrown around. You know, looking back in a 100 years' time, you wouldn't want to be someone, would you, that was wrong on a particular issue? If you made a stand on an issue like homosexuality or evolution or something like that, um, you wouldn't want to you know, get to the end of your life and look back and realise you were wrong. You wouldn't want to be on the wrong side of history. I've actually had people here at uni uh, say that to me. It's kind of an interesting little thing. You know, but more often than not, it's actually been when I've been saying something that I believe is pretty standard biblical Christianity. Uh, when it comes to topics like, well, sexuality for one, uh, gender for another, um, and often, often the place of other religions. That's when people have said this kind of thing to me, that, Steve, are you sure that's what you were saying? Are you sure you agree with that? You wouldn't want to be on the wrong side of history, would you? That's just kind of an interesting little saying. Uh, but I guess, I guess what I'm trying to get at is I, I feel like our culture actually thinks that maybe we've moved on from Christianity. I don't know how you feel about that. Uh, you might feel that yourself when you're kind of talking to your friends, when you're in class, when you're hearing lectures. You might feel like there's this kind of belief that, well, Christianity was kind of good for a time maybe back then, but, well, now we've kind of progressed. We've kind of moved on from that. You watch the news uh, and you see that sort of sentiment, don't you? I think one of the big tellers for Victoria uh, late last year was the fact that scripture in schools has now been removed. Uh, that kind of theistic Christian worldview being taught has now been removed from our schools and we can't do it as freely as we had in the past. It's a really big move. Uh, it seems to me that when it comes to people's kind of vibe, what they think about Christianity, is that it's a little bit like an old Nokia phone. You know those old Nokia phones? The kind of, my dad had one, it was one of the first mobiles. You know, you couldn't break their screens, they were just like bricks. All they did was ring people, um, but they had this cool little game, it's called Snake. I don't, you know Snake? Yeah, it's like a line, and it chases a dot, and it hits the dot, and it goes beep, and the snake grows. You know, we've moved on from the Nokia phone, haven't we? You know, we've, we've got better games, we've got Angry Birds, we've got the iPhone 6, or... I don't know, we're up to the seven yet? I don't know. I'm not really into iPhones myself. But I feel like some people see that, that Christianity is a little bit like the old Nokia's. We've moved on from it. We've progressed. We don't need it anymore. But I guess you've got to ask the question, don't you? When you, move, when you say that, when you say that you've moved on from Christianity, what else are you saying? You're actually saying that you've moved on from Christ. You're saying that you've moved on from Jesus. And I think... Well, to leave Jesus behind is a pretty massive deal. 
It's actually, you know, the opposite, the exact opposite of what we want to do on this campus. I hope you know we've got a little slogan. It's called Uncover Jesus. It's what we want to do. We want people to uncover him. We don't want to move on from him. We actually want people to get to know him, find him, get to know what he's like so they can follow him. And I think today's text actually really speaks into that situation. It shows us exactly who Jesus is. It's a great passage from the Bible. Colossians 1 is where we are. We're particularly just going to be looking at verses 15 to 20. They're on that sheet in front of you. What these verses tell us is that Jesus isn't just some guy who turned up in the middle of history and had a few good ideas and you know had a few ideas about God and how to live in this world and then kind of died and now he's irrelevant. Now it actually shows us that Jesus is actually the guy who started history. He's the creator. He's the one who was there at the very beginning. But also, number two, he's the one who all history is heading towards. He's the reconciler. Uh, and that's what we're going to be looking at today. So just to set the context for these verses, we, Nicole read them out earlier. These verses, verses 15 to 20 that we'll be looking at, they're actually the second half of a really long sentence that started back in verse 9. Uh, if you look back there in verse 9, you see the Apostle Paul, he's in prayer, he's praying to God that these Christians in Colossae would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. You see that? Essentially, what Paul is praying is that these Christians would know what God wants and what God is doing in the world, what God's will is. And what you see there is that God's will, what God wants, is that all people everywhere would have Jesus as their king. Uh, He wants people to have Jesus as their Lord. That's what you see in verse 10, isn't it? See verse 10? God wants people to walk in a manner that is pleasing to Jesus. If you skip down to verse 13, God wants people to be delivered from the kingdom of darkness, the domain of darkness, and to be transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son, Jesus. See, this is what God's will is. This is what God wants in the world. He wants all people everywhere to live with Jesus as their king. So I reckon what this means for us today is that, well, if we want to be on the right side of history... We've got to be on the right side of Jesus, don't we? Uh, we've got to have him as our king. So have a look there at verse 15. Look there in Colossians 1, verse 15, and see what Paul says about just who Jesus is. In verse 15 he says, He, talking about Jesus, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Now the first thing you see there, right, is that Jesus actually reveals God to us. Because he is God. He is the image of the invisible God. Uh, He's not just a man who knew something about God. He's God in the flesh. You want to know what God is like? Paul says, look at Jesus. Get to know what Jesus is like. This is God become flesh. God become man. This is no ordinary guy. And as you keep reading, you see, when he became man, verse 15, what did he become? He became the firstborn over all creation. Now, this is a kind of a tricky little verse, actually, a little, little clause. If you've ever had a Jehovah's Witness come and knock on your door, uh, dressed in their suit and, you know, wanting to convert you to Jehovah's Witness life and all that sort of stuff, uh, 
more often than not, they might direct you to this verse. See, but Jehovah's Witnesses don't actually believe Jesus is the Son of God. They believe that he is a great man. In fact, he is the greatest man. Uh, and, and they look at this verse. They say, see, he's the firstborn of all creation. So that means that he is created. Therefore, he's less than God, doesn't it? Well, interesting. See, because Christians actually believe something different about Jesus. Christians don't believe that Jesus was created. They believe that he was eternally existing with his Father from before the creation of the world, that he is God, the Son, who has always existed. And it seems to me that when you actually go and you do a little bit of looking around in the Bible, you actually see that Paul isn't using the word firstborn here to say that Jesus was a man who was, you know, not quite God. Now, you go back to the Old Testament and you find something really interesting. You know the people of Israel, people of Israel, God's people in the Old Testament? Frequently, they were called God's firstborn. Now, that wasn't because they were, you know, the first people group ever created or anything like that. They were actually called God's firstborn because God had chosen them for a special purpose. Because they were the ones that God said would inherit everything in them. They were the ones that God made the supreme nation, the chosen nation. And it seems to me that that's actually what Paul is saying here. Jesus is the firstborn over all creation because he is the supreme one over all creation. He's the one that will inherit everything in the end. He's going to be king for eternity. He will own everything. That's what Paul's getting at with his verse. He will be supreme overall. And as you actually keep reading, verse 16, you see why that is the case. See, in verse 16, Paul says three things about Jesus. Three things. He says he is the one who created everything, everything that was created in, through, and for him. We're going to unpack that. What does that mean? Verse 16, what does it mean that everything was created in him? Does that mean Jesus was kind of big giant and had a massive stomach and the world's kind of created inside him. Well, no, not really. It actually means everything was created. Everything we see. Let's just think about that for a moment. Everything. You know, the world, the universe, us, me and you, every people, every community group, every, you know, MacBook, whatever it is you're into, everything was created in him. In him means in his sphere of influence in his control. Everything was created in his, in his authority. Nothing was created that was outside of his authority. Everything was created in him. And so it seems to me that, well, if Jesus created it, everything, then doesn't that mean something about what he knows about? Doesn't that mean if he created it, he actually knows how things work best? It seems to me that creators of things generally do know how things work best. Think about for a moment, you know, you've got a you've got a computer, not a Mac, you know, the other ones, the PCs. You've got a PC. And uh, your uh, computer's broken down. You try to fix it, and you, you're not really sure how, to work, how it works, and, you know, you've got a few problems. You're trying to get in behind the scenes, maybe doing a bit of programming, and all of a sudden, um, Bill Gates walks in the room. And he says... Do you want a hand, mate? 
well, if, you know, if the creator of the PC programming walks in the room and you'd be foolish to say, no, nah, I've got it sorted, Bill, wouldn't you? No, I know better than you. I, I, know you're, I know you created it, but, you know, I've kind of got this sorted. Or imagine for a moment, if you're not really into computers, imagine you're into cars. Maybe you're um, having a bit of a lucky day. You're driving a Model T Ford down the road. You know, Model T Fords, pretty cool cars. Pretty old, actually. So because it's so old, it breaks down. It breaks down, you, you lift the bonnet up and you're looking, you know, steam coming everywhere. You're not really sure what's going on and someone pulls up over the road, you know, and it's Henry Ford. And Henry Ford says, hey, mate, I reckon I might know. You know, Henry Ford's got the created Fords. I reckon I might know something about how that works. You'd be crazy, wouldn't you, to tell the creator to rack off? Oh, yeah, I know, I know that you kind of made it and created it and did everything, but, you know, just, I've got it sorted, thanks, mate. No, you'd be crazy to do that, wouldn't you? It seems to me that if Jesus is the one who created everything, then when he turned up 2,000 years ago and told us how to live inside his world, and we don't listen to that, it's crazy, isn't it? See, if Jesus is the creator, then he's the expert on life. He knows how it works best. And you keep reading, actually, verse 17 goes on to affirm this. Verse 16, sorry, all things were created through him and for him. See that? All things were created through him. What does that mean? Well, think about for a moment, how, how did God create the world back in the very beginning? Remember back to Genesis 1? How did God create through his words, didn't he? He spoke. He spoke. He said, let there be light. And there was. He spoke. God created through his words. And you go to another place in the Bible, in John chapter 1. In fact, if you've got a Bible in front of you, just go there now, John chapter 1. In John chapter 1, we read this. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Do you see there in that verse? The Word is a person. In verse 3 of John chapter 1, it says, All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Jump down to verse 14, what do you see? And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. See, the Word there is Jesus. Jesus is the Word of God. Jesus is the one through whom God spoke everything into being at the very beginning. Jesus is the one that was there at the very creation of the world. But not only that, not only was it all created in his sphere of influence, created through him, but I think most astonishingly, everything was created for him. End of verse 16, Colossians chapter 1. It was created for him. It's a staggering thought, I reckon. Everything we see was made for Jesus. It was a gift from his Father to the Son that he might own it and enjoy it forever. Every person, you and me, created for Jesus. Every mountain, every valley created for Jesus that he might enjoy it. All things were created in, through and for Jesus. Incredible thoughts to try and wrap our minds around. 
Verse 17 says, He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. You know, Evan sort of picked up on some things earlier about the kind of things that are taught about creation. Here's one idea about what the Bible says about creation, uh, what God says on the matter. Jesus started it. Jesus is the creator. Jesus is the intelligent designer. He's the one who was there at the beginning. He's the one that, that made it. But not only that, you keep reading these verses and what you see is that actually not only is he the creator, but he's the one that all creation is heading towards because it's made for him. See, a lot of people on that video, they think about Jesus and what do they think? He's just kind of a man, might have said some good things, probably existed around AD 30. (coughs) But when you look at God's word about Jesus, what do you see? That man who lived all those years ago. He's the one who started life itself. He's not just some ordinary man. It's incredible. And what you see, actually, is that he's the one, because it's made for him, he's the one that each and every one of us one day will meet. We will meet. We'll either meet him as enemy or as friend, is what the Bible says. Every person will one day meet Jesus either as enemy or friend. That's what we see next, actually. So have a look in verses 19 to 20. We see that Jesus is not only the creator of everything, but he's also the reconciler, the one who brings everything back to how it should be. Reading verse 19. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things in earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Now it's interesting here, don't you reckon? Paul goes from speaking about Jesus being the creator to being the reconciler. And you've got to kind of ask the question, does Paul kind of skip something here? You know, Jesus is the creator, he made everything, it's all made in, through and for him, it's great. But now something needs to be reconciled. You've got to ask the question, well, what happened? What happened that now means that the creation needs to be reconciled? Something broken. Something's been frustrated. What to, ha- to have a need for reconciliation actually means that something has happened to the creation. Paul actually doesn't address that right here in these verses. Paul's kind of, I think, in these verses in a moment where he's just celebrating the greatness of Jesus, how good he is. But he doesn't stop to dwell on the fact that what actually the rest of the Bible wants to say is that the reason we need reconciliation the reason we need to reconcile is because we have broke the creation. We as humans have done what the Bible calls sin. We've rebelled against our God. We've stuffed it up, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's an issue. Right, you, you remember right back to Adam and Eve, right? Adam and Eve, our great ancestors, you go back there, they were the ones, you know, God created that world for them, put them in that perfect place, said, you know, here guys, enjoy it, have kids, rule over this world, um, listen to my word, don't eat from that tree. What do they do? Well, they didn't listen to God's word. Effectively, they said, God, we know better than you. 
uh, we can live this life our way, thank you very much. You can just leave us alone. They sinned. They shook their fists at God. They said, rack off. We don't need you telling us how to run our life. And so what happened? Well, in effect, God said, okay, you can move out of my garden. You can run life your way. See how that works out for you. And I think, yeah, we inherited their sin. That's right. But I think, to be honest, you know, you can't just look back to Adam and Eve and go, well, it's all their fault. It's actually our fault too, isn't it? We all know God's word. He calls us to love our neighbour. calls us to honour him. But we fail at that. We lie, we lust, get caught up in greed and slander, all sorts of things. We want to be honest with ourselves. We know that we're actually no better than, than they are. Because we actually often think that our way is better than God's way. We fall into sin. And actually what the Bible, I think, wants to say is that if we keep on treating God like that, if we keep telling him to just rack off and back off and leave us alone, then eventually that's what he will do. Uh, He will separate himself from us for eternity. And that, friends, is why we actually need a reconciler, isn't it? We actually need someone who can fix this problem between us and God, this relational breakdown that's called sin. We need someone who can forgive us for that wrong that we've done wrong. And what the Bible wants to say is actually the only person who can do that is Jesus. And the reason that is is because Jesus is God. Uh, Let me give you a bit of an illustration about this. The only reason that Jesus can forgive us is because only the person who's been wronged can say, I forgive you. Do you know what I mean by that? You know, imagine for a moment, a bit of a silly illustration, but imagine for a moment that Matt's just walked in the room. Imagine I walk up to Matt and I punch him in the face, right? Just Some of you might find that really easy to imagine. Some of you might find it hard to imagine. I just walk up to Matt and I just punch him in the face. And then Brennan over here comes across and says to me, I forgive you, Steve. Does that work? That doesn't really work, does it? No, actually, for forgiveness to take place, the person who has been wronged has to say, I forgive you. And, you know, Matt doesn't actually have to forgive me. He could get justice. He could punch me back in the face. Some of you might find that hard to imagine. But, um... Or what actually has to happen for forgiveness to take place? Well, actually, what has to happen is the person who has been wronged, Matt, has to take the hurt, the pain, onto himself, absorb that pain, and then out of an act of grace, love and mercy, extend that to me and say, I forgive you. That's actually what forgiveness has to... how forgiveness takes place. Someone has to absorb the pain, absorb the hurt, and then out of an act of love and mercy say, I forgive you. And that, I think, is a pretty silly illustration, but it actually says something about what Jesus has done for us on the cross. See, because our sins are actually against God, telling him to rack off, Jesus, being God, comes and dies on that cross out of an act of love and mercy and grace. And as he dies on that cross, he absorbs the hurt, the pain, the punishment that we deserve for our sins. And what is it that Jesus says when he dies on that cross? He said, Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. 
Father, forgive them, because I don't know what they're doing. Yeah, I think straight away he's talking to that initial crowd, but I reckon those words go for everyone. Jesus died for the sins of all. Father, forgive them. And friends, I guess I just want to say, can you actually see here just who Jesus is? Jesus is our creator, but he's also the one who is God, who was so moved by compassion that he came to our world, died on a cross so that we could be reconciled back to God. And in the end, you actually see that all history is heading towards him. Paul actually calls this good news. It's great news. It's what, it's what Christians call the gospel. And it's what Paul actually lists in these next few verses, verses 21 to 23. Have a look there, verse 21. He actually tells us this gospel message. He sums up what has happened for Christians. It says, You who once were alienated and hostile in mind, that is, you were alienated from God, doing evil deeds, he, that is Jesus, verse 22, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and stand fast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a servant. Do you see, do you see what the gospel is? That's that we, in our sin, have been alienated from God. We were doing evil deeds, rejecting him. But Christ, because of his death has reconciled us, forgiven us, made us right with God again because he died in our place as our substitute, made us holy and blameless. That's how God sees Christians right now, do you know that? Because all your sin, all your shame, all your guilt has been nailed to that cross with him. You are now holy and blameless in his sight. And there is nothing that will break that relationship between you and God as you trust in Jesus. So Paul says, don't shift from that hope. Don't shift from it. And I reckon you'd say, well, why would you shift from it? Because it's so good, isn't it? To know that we who have wronged our Creator God have been fully forgiven. Friends, our world will tell us that Jesus is insignificant. Our world will tell us that We've moved on from him, that we should stop speaking about him, that we should just close our mouths and, and leave everyone else alone. Our world will tell us that we are on the wrong side of history. Who said that? Who said it? I just think it's a general vibe out there, yeah. Um, I guess what Paul tells us, though, is that actually nothing could be further from the truth, could it? History is actually heading towards Jesus. In the end, every knee will bow, the Bible says, before Jesus. Many people actually bow their knee willingly because they're so thankful for the fact that Jesus died on the cross and they've made him Lord. They will love the fact that Jesus is the king of the universe, but there will be many also who will actually bow their knee with great fear and trembling. And Jesus will say, depart from me, I never knew you. Why would the unsaved bow to Jesus? Well, in Revelation, it actually says that in the end, every knee will bow before Jesus. That doesn't make sense I think the point is, what it's saying, is that they will bow, but they won't bow because they want to. 
they'll bow because they recognise that he is king. So they'll bow with fear and trembling um, and then they'll be separated from him and out of his kingdom. Yeah, good question. Friends, let me encourage you as you go into your classes, in your families, in your homes, wherever you are, friends, don't shift from this gospel. Don't give up on Jesus because of what the world says. In fact, don't be silent about him, but be like Paul. What does Paul say? Paul says, I've become a servant of the gospel. And he's, he's a minister of it. He wants people to know this gospel message, that they too might put their faith in Jesus, that their eternities would be changed. Now, just before I finish, let me just say there was one verse in this passage that I skipped over. I don't know if you noticed that. Verse 18. Skipped over verse 18 sort of on purpose uh, because I wanted to show you that Jesus is the creator. He's the one that started history, that Jesus is a reconciler. He's the one that history is heading towards. But the obvious question is, well, what is Jesus doing right now? Uh, You know, if he's done stuff in the past, he's doing stuff in the future, what about right now? Well, verse 18 actually answers that question. Have a look at verse 18. What does it say about Jesus? It says, He is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Now, what does that mean? He's the head of the body, the church. Well, it actually means that the church, not buildings, I hope you know, church is not a building. The church is the people of God, Christians. We are the church, uh, if we are Christian. Jesus has aligned himself with the church right now. He is working through the church in order to achieve his great purposes. I reckon that's kind of staggering, don't you think? That this person who we've seen is the one through whom and for whom all things were created has chosen to use people like you and me, the church, to achieve his purposes of seeing people reconciled to him for eternity. It's actually as people hear the good news of the gospel that they are so excited about it that they speak it to other people. And by God's spirit, he saves them. And they join the church. And more and more people are reconciled to him for eternity. That's what Jesus is doing right now. He sent his spirit to save people so that his disciples will spread this message until Jesus returns. That's what's happening right now. And in the end, Jesus will be king. So friends, let me encourage you, if you're a Christian person here today, to be encouraged by these words, that you're not on the wrong side of history. In fact, you couldn't be on a better side. So speak about it. Tell others that they too might have Jesus as king. If you're someone who's not a Christian person here tonight, can I encourage you to see just who Jesus is? He's not just some ordinary man who said some things about God. He's actually God in the flesh. God who has died for you, died for your sins, that you might be forgiven for eternity. So put your trust in him. I pray for us. There's a few questions there on your sheet, so I'd love it if you guys want to just throw some of those around just for five or so minutes, just to keep processing some of these thoughts. Let's pray together. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much for your Son, Jesus. Father, I thank you that though we have sinned against you, you have not left us to face punishment for our sin, but you have given us your Son, Jesus, who came and died in our place so that when we put our trust in him, we can be forgiven for all eternity. Father, I pray that each one of us here today, I pray that we will see your love for us at the cross and that we would be so moved by it that we would honour you as King. Father, I pray for us in our classes, in our lectures, in our homes, that we would be people who love having you as our King and that we want to see other people come into your kingdom too. Pray this for Jesus' sake and his glory. Amen.